A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Alan Woods, Montreal-based Toronto Star reporter and current National Newspaper Award nominee for your reporting for the Star from Russia. Welcome to Shortcuts. Awfully nice of you to mention that. I'm super excited. It's one of those things that you, you apply often uh, for, and uh, you know you never really know how it's going to turn out. So I'm, I'm super stoked just to be nominated, as they say. Today on the show, Donald Trump. We suddenly have to care about him again. Or, 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 or do we? Do we? And worst case scenario, Airbnb. Why Fire in Montreal is a reminder that regulations and even solid journalism only mean so much without actual enforcement. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to you by Jeff Gervitz, Nicholas McKim, Madison McFarlane, Kara Uzelman, Denbai Patton, Megan Brennan, Carol Stringer, and Spencer. I'm Spencer, a film and TV worker in Toronto, and I support Canada Land because of their commitment to transparent business practices and for covering internal things like the staff-wide podcast about whether or not to take money from Google or Facebook. Keep up the good work, folks.
former U.S. President Donald Trump says he's expecting to be arrested this upcoming Tuesday. Trump is being investigated by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office in connection to the Stormy Daniels hush money case. New York officials are taking security arrangements around Manhattan. If anything, charges will likely energize Trump's base. It's why he's fundraising off the prospect of being arrested. So we are recording this Wednesday morning at 11, and as of now, and I will just go on Twitter to double-check, former U.S. President Donald Trump has not been indicted uh, by the time listeners hear this. However, he very well may have been. So we're speaking to you listeners from the past, a time capsule of the relative innocence and ignorance of Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023, immediately before American politics changed forever, or perhaps not at all. A sort of Schrodinger's cast, if you will, if cast is short for podcast. Uh, So for now, we're going to look at what's been going on, what's likely to unfold, and the extent to which Canadians ought to care about it. So Alan, you wrote an explainer for the Toronto Star titled, What Happens If Donald Trump Gets Arrested? But before we get to the question of what happens, I guess we should address the question of why would he be arrested, or at least what would this arrest be about, and why after so many years of, I guess, false starts for formal accountability processes, do we believe something is now almost certainly imminent? It's a good point that it's sort of tough to keep track of all the different legal processes that are underway. Mm-hmm. So this one is not about classified documents. It's not about uh, tax evasion by the Trump organization. It's not about election fraud. It's about falsification of business records as far as we know. We don't know exactly what the charges will be, but the best guess from people who have been following this in the States for years and years is that it relates to, as we like to say over and over in the media, hush money paid to a porn star, Mm -hmm. porn star being Stormy Daniels. Before the 2016 election, Mm -hmm. she was shopping around her story of an alleged sexual encounter with Donald Trump. And she was paid a certain amount of money, $130,000, by a lawyer who's sort of acted as a fixer for Donald Trump. This was basically to shut her up so that uh, she would not speak to the National Enquirer or any other media. And so that ultimately, according to prosecutors and those who've been investigating this, ultimately so that he would win the election, so that it wouldn't throw off people at the last minute and, uh, and cause them to vote for Hillary Clinton. The problem is falsification of business records. The larger issue is uh, an attempt to sway the, uh, the presidential election in 2016. Michael Cohen, who's the, 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 you know, the bag man, if you will, uh, he was indicted and, uh, and pled guilty in 2018. For his part in this, Donald Trump was not indicted by federal prosecutors. Mm-hmm. And so now we're dealing with this at a lower level, at the state level in New York. And this is what they've come up with in terms of a charge. It's almost like investigating Al Capone for tax evasion. Exactly. With this alleged crime having happened over six years ago, why do we believe this is about to imminently climax. Because in New York State, they've been investigating Trump and uh, the Trump organization uh, very intensively for a number of years. They had one recent ruling against the Trump organization for tax fraud or tax evasion. And this is almost the next shoe to fall in that investigation. And so this is, uh, you know, this is what they're going after. There's all sorts of legal questions, right? Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, Falsifying business records is, is a very minor offense. Generally, you, know, you get uh, up to a year in jail and up to you know, a $1,000 fine, which is, for, for Donald Trump, who's a billionaire, is chump change or Trump change. Of course, yeah. What they may do is try and, and, and prove that he falsified business records 
in order to uh, commit a crime, mm -hmm. which that being uh, federal election interference. And so that would be a felony charge and could land them up to five years in jail. And I guess the reason it's suddenly all of a sudden on the radar, as opposed to, I mean, at least four other investigations, I've slowly been bubbling away because Trump exclaimed on his proprietary social media platform over the weekend that he is going to be arrested on Tuesday, which Tuesday came and went and that didn't happen. And there are people who would take Trump at his word. I would not listen to them. But most people, I would say at this point, even people who like him would not necessarily take him at his literal word. But there are other signs that this is imminent. There's a grand jury investigation underway. Mm -hmm. one, one of the, the lawyers you know, who was brought in to uh, support Trump, uh, he testified on Monday. And he walked out of the grand jury investigation, and then he gave a news conference to the reporters that are assembled there. We know this, this is going on in real time, right? Literally, as you said, Trump could be charged at any minute. They're having meetings in New York City about how to handle the, the fallout, the protesters, crowd control, whether to do a perp walk, you know, whether to arrest them in, in public and walk them through the cameras. And apparently, I mean, there's even reports this morning that, that Trump would like to, should I smile mm -hmm. uh, for the cameras as I'm doing this? Should I say something? And he sees this as um, this moment in the sun, right? Exactly. And I mean, certainly the authorities in New York, not even just those directly involved in the potential prosecution, but all kinds of authorities in New York are, are absolutely bracing for something. And I think one could reasonably assume that if there were not something coming, they would have been told that, like, you don't actually have to, like, get everyone out on the street and erect all these barricades and take all these steps. Certainly they're taking the prospect of imminent, something happened imminently very, very seriously. And so I guess that next goes to the question posed by the headline, at least the online headline of your story. What happens if he's indicted? This will be the first an historic moment, right? He will be mm -hmm. uh, a former president charged with a crime. Richard Nixon was not charged with a crime. Mm -hmm. You know, there was an indictment in that case, but they didn't go ahead with it. So he'll be charged. He'll be fingerprinted. He'll be mugshotted. Uh, you know, he'll have his day in, in court like any other alleged criminal. I think the larger question is, is the political question, right? What happens there? And what is the calculation there? And sort of back to the earlier point, from a media perspective, he's, he's the one who's putting us all out there, right? Mm -hmm. He's the one who said on Saturday... Yeah, they're going to arrest me on Tuesday, right? And it was like part two of a you know two-part diatribe against the you know the prosecutor and the the alleged persecution that he's been facing. You know, go back to last summer when the FBI raided his Mar-a-Lago estate in Palm Beach. He was the one who announced that. Mm -hmm. You know, no one knew it until he said it on 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 Truth Social, and so he's still in control of the message here, right? It's 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 fascinating. I, I, you know, I was thinking about. How do you describe this as, you know, as a Canadian? It's, it's almost like looking over the fence at your, your neighbor's uh, you know, nasty sort of domestic dispute, right? Like looking to see what's going on. It's a bit nuts, uh, but you can't look away. Beyond this, the question of as much as the United States is not great at generally at holding powerful people to account through public processes, Canada is even worse than that. But to the more particular point, like in the States, we usually get to see mugshots. And in Canada, we almost never do. Presuming that he is charged, he will be photographed, and that will almost certainly be released immediately. And what I find fascinating is one something that, in most cases, would count against a person. It sounds like he's looking forward to that and has been giving a lot of thought to how he can look the most defiant. It's insane, but you can almost imagine, like you know, a presidential campaign or you know, a fundraiser uh, email with his mugshot on it, right? Like the yeah. worry from prosecutors and from Democrats and even from some of his, his Republican opponents in the primary is this plays into his narrative that he is sort of a sacrificial lamb, that he's being persecuted, that he's taking all these hits and fighting back against it. 
to protect you know the true American patriots that he that, that are as base as he claims. Mm-hmm. It defies belief. It makes me think. I mean, a, a bit of of the Rob Ford days, right? Where yeah. you almost think, how much lower can you go? And then you keep digging, right? And it goes lower. I know, and certainly I covered that. And there are many, many times when it seemed like an arrest could be imminent. And if he's going to arrest me, arrest me. I have done nothing wrong, and he's wasted millions of dollars. Someone could lean into it even more. And, you know, Shortcuts is supposed to look at the week's biggest news. And barring a global calamity, the arrest and indictment of Donald Trump would probably be the biggest news of any given week in which it takes place, dominating, you know, front pages and leading our newscasts. And this is a week in which President Biden is visiting Canada too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I guess extra publicity for the scrum at Beaver Tales, I suppose. (laughs) But, like, unlike a lot of other political, I mean, like American political news, like where the implications for Canada and the larger world are instantly apparent, I guess I find myself trying to interrogate the philosophical underpinning of why this would be the biggest news. Because, I mean, it would be the biggest news, and it deserves its place of prominence. I mean, it's it's historic and unprecedented. As far as I know, no Canadian prime minister or former prime minister has ever been charged with a crime. And yet the immediate relevance that this would have outside the states strikes me as almost elusive. Like, like it's easy to imagine as having a butterfly effect that eventually leads to his return to the White House and then anything up to and including nuclear Armageddon. But it's also to imagine this being like not really of any more consequence than like his second impeachment, which was also unprecedented and historic, but ultimately not super meaningful in and of itself. So like, is this an epilogue, a coda, or just the start of like volume two or three? And, and this goes back to sort of the the, um, the Rob Ford comparison, right? It's like how how low will you go? And it's I mean, you know, a misdemeanor or even a, a, a felony offense for you know falsifying business records is not the end of Donald Trump. It's un- highly unlikely he would go to jail for something like this. It's highly unlikely that there would be a conviction before uh, a presidential campaign. I talked to a you know, political science uh, guy, uh, you know, someone who worked uh, was in the States for a long time and came back to Canada recently. And it doesn't allow him to grow his, his, his base, right? So, like, mm. the hardcore true believers are still going to be hardcore true believers. But those ones who are like, eh, Donald Trump, he's a bit weird. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe he's good for the economy, but, like, he's slimy. They're not going to all of a sudden jump on the bandwagon because he's being persecuted for hush money paid to a porn star. I think some might. I Do you really? There's a certain brand of conservative who will instinctively jump to someone they like who they believe is being wrongfully targeted. Like, say, Conrad Black, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he actually got off the Trump train last fall. I'd miss this. Like, he boldly predicted that the headline in the Post was actually Trump's revenge. This was like two days before the midterms, that Trump would be stronger than ever, Republicans would sweep to midterms. And then when that didn't happen, he's like, uh, actually, maybe we'll regret to say I kind of <laughs> throw my support behind Ron DeSantis instead. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, basically, but like weird in a weirdly tentative way. For him, tentative. And the sentence included the word obligation which I had to look up. The thing is, I think someone like Conor Black, if Trump is indicted, would absolutely fly right back to his camp. Perhaps. There's a type of conservative, yeah, that is absolutely animated by perceived injustice against or persecution of people they like or have an affinity for or identify with. In the case of Conor Black, someone who believes he himself was wrongfully prosecuted. So I don't know. I think that it is a way to grow one's base, or at least reclaim portions of one's base. In the case of Conrad Black, who, as far as I know, doesn't have the right to vote, 
in the U.S. No. Is, is that because he sees his own persecution and Donald Trump's persecution? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a mirror. I mean, Black apparently once drew that comparison in a conversation with Trump himself. In 2019, he wrote in the National Post that when Trump phoned him to offer the pardon, I suggested that he knew better than anyone the antics of some U.S. prosecutors. And you can kind of imagine him chuckling. You spent much of your career as a foreign reporter explaining news in other countries to Canadians and explaining sure. the relevance. If you were to play this on the front page of a daily newspaper, if you have, if you were the front page editor, how would you frame it? Hey, look, I, I mean, a certain amount of our coverage of American politics in Canada is voyeuristic, right? You know, we are we are looking at the you know the most powerful country in in the world. It still is, you know, but. Uh, I remember back in my early days uh, as a as a crime reporter at the National Post, and I, I did this thing on on gangs and uh, gangs and guns and drugs, and I talked to an investigator who said Canada, in terms of crime trends, is yeah a couple of years, maybe you know up to ten years behind the U.S. So whatever's happening in the U.S., it's going to come to Canada. It's going to mm-hmm. yeah, it's eventually going to reach here. Politics is not that different. And if anything, it's speeding up. I mean, you look at, uh, we had the January uh, 6th uh, insurrection on Capitol Hill. A year later, we had the Freedom Convoy, mm-hmm. right? In January 6th, they were trying to uh, overturn the election. The Freedom Convoy, there was a segment, and, and certainly not all, but there was a segment who said, we want Trudeau and his government to resign or to be removed from power. There are thoughts and sentiments and ideologies, you know, they transfer. We consume American media you know, more than they consume our media. And, uh, and so, you know, is this, a, is this a sign of what's to come? I mean, in Canada, are we going to be susceptible to the same sort of political chaos that, uh, that they're living through in the United States right now? I mean, that would probably presume that we ever ended up actually prosecuting politicians at all. You mentioned the National Post, uh, and that reminds me of one more thing, which was that this whole thing with Stormy Daniels allegedly began when she or her counsel went to the National Enquirer back in October 2016. And the person who was in charge of the Enquirer's parent company at the time, uh, Trump's friend, David Pecker, allegedly then referred her to Michael Cohen and to the Trump camp to basically purchase the story to hush it up. Um, you know, in that same month, Pecker joined the board of Post Media, Canada's largest newspaper chain. I didn't know that. Where he stayed for almost two years until late in the summer of 2018, which was just shortly after the FBI subpoenaed his company's records as they were looking for stuff related to. In the Cohen investigation. Yes, exactly. Well, because there was, there was a second woman involved. Uh... Yes, and he was definitely involved in that, the Karen McDougal one. And Pecker was seen, I guess, at the courthouse, I think in late January, by presumably testifying or speaking before the grand jury. Well, that was Oh, yeah, David Pecker. There you go. That is interesting. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Alan, do you take any supplements? I'm a big supplement guy. You are? Yeah, I, uh, I've been going to the gym for about a year now. It's my post-Russia habit and take protein shakes. Fills you up and it's healthy. And as you're getting up in, in years, it's good for keeping your muscle mass, which is important. As you know, staying on top of your health game can be challenging. So instead of trying a bunch of different supplements to stay healthy, one can take AG1 from Athletic Greens, which is a much cheaper and easier alternative. AG1 is a foundational nutritional drink packed with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients. And those 75 ingredients do a lot of work for me from promoting gut health to supporting immunity and boosting energy. Add one scoop of AG1 to a glass of water, mix and drink. It's pretty easy. It's a seamless daily habit, and it tastes pretty good, actually. 
If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. That's athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Alan, on this show, as you probably know, we like to duly note things. This week, I would like to note duly that it's been just over 20 years since the U.S. invaded Iraq. One of my favorite Onion articles or Onion pieces of all time, when I revisit every once in a while, is a point-counterpoint headlined, This war will destabilize the entire Mideast region and set off a global shockwave of anti-Americanism versus, no, it won't. It really captures and perfectly captures the tenor uh, and tone and complexity of the discourse that existed at the time. And, you know, I always thought, like, oh, it'd be fun to go back and see what Canadian newspapers are writing at that time. But thankfully, Davide Mastracci of Passage has basically already gone back and done that in a piece for Passage headlined, 20 years ago, Canadian media lined up to call for war in Iraq. He just looks at the editorials published by the newspapers in the days around and immediately following the initial invasion and looks at how where most of them are rooting for it. The CanWest chain, which, you know, basically what is now the post-media broadsheets and then the CanWest chain very much had a, you know, raw, raw pro-war editorial. That's not surprising. Globe and Mail, uh, you know, National Post, on to wars, the, the headline, very, you know, duck soup, Fredonia's going to war. The Globe and Mail admonished Prime Minister Chrétien for refusing to officially join the, the invasion. And, you know, of course, you know, many of the various columnists you'd at the Globe and the Post that you would imagine also, you know, cheered it on. But as he also noted, there was one major exception in Canadian media, and that would being the Toronto Star, which very much directly said in an unsigned editorial, Canada is right to say no to war. 
writing, the war is morally wrong, ill-timed, and of dubious legality. Criminal Saddam's regime is, and deserving of containment, it poses no real threat to the U.S. or anyone else. I think that was good, and I think uh, I think we know, looking back from the perspective of 20 years, I think it's pretty clear who was on the, uh, the right side of history with that one. Duly noted. Alan, what would you like to note, Julie, today? As I said, I was living in Russia for four years and had the opportunity to, to cover the beginning of the war from Moscow. And the last... Uh, year, I've been sort of living in, in a bit of a hangover from that experience. I've been covering from afar the conflict. I'd like to duly note a British historian and uh, an author of historical uh, fiction, uh, Simon Sebag Montefiore, who is one of the sort of most accessible chroniclers of, uh, of Russian history. He wrote a book that I'm in the midst of reading, Catherine the Great and Potemkin. I mean, we all know the term Potemkin Village. Mm-hmm. Probably fewer of us know Gregory Potemkin and the story of he was Catherine the Great's lover. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a military leader and he was basically the, not the founder, but the one who sort of expanded the Russian Empire into the territory of Ukraine that we're now fighting over, right? Odessa and mm. Kherson and, uh, and Crimea. It's interesting and, and sort of fascinating to sort of trace back the land that we're fighting over to you know, when it was founded uh, and, and the efforts that were made and, the, you know, the, the um, imperial and, and colonial pride that was taken in the creation of these territories and the creation of the, you know, the, the, um, the Russian Empire's Black Sea Fleet in, mm-hmm. uh, in Crimea. It gives you an idea of why Russian uh, nationalists and, and patriots are, are sort of fighting over this. They say, like, okay, what is it? Why, why are we so, fa- you know, interested in Ukraine. Ukraine is, uh, you know, has its own problems and you have your own problems in Russia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why do you want more of this land? And it helps you understand that. It doesn't justify it. Yeah. Not at all. But it just, it, it just, it gives you that context, the historical context that often we're, we're lacking. So, Catherine the Great in Potemkin by Simon Sebag Montefiore. Cool. I've not heard of him. That, that's really cool. We'll definitely include a link in the show notes. Duly noted. Now let's head to Old Montreal, where fire crews have recovered the body of a woman from what's left of a heritage building that went up in flames last Thursday. Stone by stone, crews start the delicate task of dismantling this burned building. Last Thursday night, a fire tore through a building in Old Montreal. As of the time we're recording this, the following Wednesday morning, two bodies have been recovered and five people are missing. Nine were injured, and there's, of course, an ongoing investigation into the cause of the massive blaze. And this is certainly a tragedy, but tragedies, even freak accidents, if this was that, don't take place in a vacuum. And in this case, there was a very specific context in which this building went up in flames. Short-term rentals officially aren't allowed in that part of Montreal, and that's been the case since 2018. But in this building, 12 of the 15 units were being operated as Airbnbs or similar. Some of those units didn't have proper fire exits or even windows. It was kind of like a... I know, a tech-driven rooming house, sort of, maybe. And in fact, it's hard to say for certain how many people were are even missing because they don't necessarily know how many people were staying there. The response from Airbnb, of course, was, you know, our hearts go out to the victims of this tragedy and to their families and loved ones. And, and the tragedy is bringing to focus the lack of effectiveness in regulating Airbnbs, or at least the lack of effectiveness of the enforcement of those regulations. Because to an extent, regulating Airbnb and enforcing that is a challenge that every large city in the world has wrestled with over the past decade. But in Montreal, it's it's been especially acute. A 2019 Radio Canada investigation labeled Montreal the Airbnb capital of Canada with the neighborhood of old Montreal, where once again, this is officially illegal, having the highest concentration of rentals. 
Le Vieux-Montréal est populaire auprès des touristes. Eh bien, c'est ici que l'on retrouve l'une des plus fortes concentrations d'appartements alloués sur Airbnb dans tout le Canada. This week, Montreal Mayor Valerie Plante said she requested a meeting with an Airbnb rep to ask for accountability. She wants more inspectors in the province to catch violators. If the company doesn't force you to respect the laws of the country, of the province and of the city, then it's all mixed up. Because in Quebec, short-term rentals are supposed to have licenses from the tourism ministry, but that's clearly not being enforced since they don't issue licenses for places you're not allowed to have short-term rentals, but certainly there's never been any shortage listings in those places. As someone who lives in Montreal, Alan, were you surprised when you found out how this building was being used? I mean, as someone who lives in Montreal, I obviously don't need an Airbnb uh, in mm. Montreal, right? You know, I wasn't attuned to the sort of the explosive rates of illegal listings. But I remember doing a story on this in, back in 2015. And this is a time when all major cities were grappling with the explosion of, of Airbnb uh, listings and, and how, to, how to regulate them and how to profit from them. Because obviously... You now have a choice in, in the world. When you go to a, a new city, you can go to a hotel or you can go to an Airbnb. There's advantages and disadvantages of both, right? At Airbnb, you've got, uh, you know, you're living in someone's home. You have uh, maybe a balcony. You have parking spots that don't cost $30 a day. Back in, in 2015, Montreal had identified this as a problem. In fact, all of Quebec had identified this as a problem. And that's when they said, you know, we're going to put in place all these regulations that you have to pay, you have to obtain a certificate and uh, you have to pay a certain fee. And that fee would go towards um, insulating the, the tourism industry, the hotel industry in Quebec. Does it surprise me, though, that almost a decade later, we have revelations that, that people are not conforming to the law? No, not necessarily. It shouldn't surprise anyone. I mean, you know, there have been reports on this for years. As you said, it's something that's been written about before, during, and after this legislation was in place and has been written about with, you know, refreshing regularity. I mean, you know, I was curious about how Airbnb was covered in Montreal in the months preceding this fire. So I looked at the the journal, the Montreal's 50 most recent stories mentioning Airbnb prior to last week. And on the whole, the coverage stretching back to last summer is better than I expected with quite a few stories about policy and regulations. But for every local news story about Airbnb, I counted like 14, there was another that just casually recommended the service in the context of a travel feature, or like 10 Airbnbs for rent in Mont-Tremblant. Actually, one more piece of reporting I, I want to shout out was uh, actually from Ricochet, which I should mention yeah, my partner is the managing editor of. But I'd like to think I would have come upon this piece by Zachary Kamel anyway, because it's called Montreal Blaze, Man Who Ran Illegal Airbnb Business Identified by Zachary Kamel. And it offered some just really good local journalism in terms of being able to actually look both at the landlord of the building, which I think also the Montreal Gazette did a good job of this morning and looking at he's a lawyer and his own entanglements with the law, both as a lawyer and as a defendant in the case of tax evasion for which he was convicted. And then this ricochet piece and another in La Presse looked at the ostensible tenant with whom this landlord had seemingly partnered, who appears to run or have run a whole network of Airbnbs across Montreal and who even spoke at length about it on the Short-Term Rental Success Stories podcast in 2019. I'm at the point where I'm building up a solid operations and I'm hiring a team of people who can take care of all the cleaning. And so because I have a par uh, apartments in three different locations in the, um, in, in, the, in, in the city, what happens is that I'm running three separate operations. So uh, the key right now is to build a team who can take over a lot of the work 
and to also grow more apartments, get more apartments in the same location in, in, in all of these three places. Yeah. If you think of like what a journalist can find in a journalist can find in just a few days, it's amazing that inspectors with government powers, I mean, obviously the scale of this is enormous, but it, it is always amazing to think that what inspectors or governments aren't able to or don't have the resources to be able to find or tackle. Not that I, I make a habit of standing up for government or apologizing for government, but I mean, you know, it is a bit like you know searching for that uh, non-compliant needle in a uh, in a haystack, and so there, there's there's that that has to be said. It's an incredible uh, investigation, incredible you know when what you can find when you have the address and when you have the information when you when you know where to look, and it's it does an incredible job of of peeling back the layers uh, on this and, and exposing the problems that should have been identified long ago. However. The inspectors also have a legal hurdle, mm-hmm. right? They, they, I mean, they have to prove, uh, you know, presumably beyond reasonable doubt that these places are non-compliant or that they're breaching the law. And, and as journalists, we have a lower bar. Of course. Right? Maybe that's going to be the case that it serves as the turning point. It serves as the example and, and, and gives us the impetus to, or gives the government the impetus, in fact, to do something serious about this. Yeah, and I'm curious what the Alberta NDP's platform on this is going to be because they're coming up on an election soon and the Globe recently reported that the person running their campaign will be Nathan Rotman, who is Rachel Notley's former chief of staff and who these days heads up policy for Airbnb in Canada and in the northeastern U.S. Uh, he's basically like the face of the company here and is the executive that Valerie Plante has been demanding to meet with. So we'll, 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 we'll see how that goes. That's interesting. That's Shortcuts for this week. Thanks for joining me, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy happy to have the chance to talk to you. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. You can email me at jonathan at canadaland.com. I will, at the very least, read everything you send. People can also find me on Twitter at Goldsby. Where can people find you, Alan? I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, Woods Allen, and I'm in the Toronto Star. This episode is produced by Viva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capicchione. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofo. Theme music is by so-called syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Candleland merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, and more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to candleland.com slash join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.